great. You would think uh, in my age range I'd be great with technology, but to be honest, I always approach it with fear and trembling. <laughs> um, so this morning, um, our passage, uh, like up on the screen, is from 1 John. If you've been with us, uh, past couple sermons that I've preached have all been from this book. I've been trying to slowly go through it um, and see the truths uh, that God is um, in it. But before we approach God's Word, before we approach um, Scripture this morning, I want to lead us in prayer. Uh, dear Holy and Holy Father, let's pray uh, this morning as we learn from your Scriptures that your name is praised, that your Word is held in the highest regard. Lord, I pray you be in my head and in my thinking, in my mouth, in my speaking, in my heart, in my understanding, Lord. Whoever's on the stage, let them take a back step. And Lord, we pray that you are glorified, that you are lifted up. And we pray this in your precious and holy name. Amen. So like I said, I'm not great with technology, and so I was going to have a beautiful question up here that you could think on, but I'm just going to say it. Uh, maybe write it down or, or think on it while I read the passage. And the question this morning is, who, backslash what, is the world? Oftentimes in Scripture, um, or maybe you see it on Facebook, uh, we, we use this phrase, it's us, and then there's the world. So I want you to get an image of what you, uh, first thing that pops in your head when you say the world, because this passage deals with us in the world this morning, um, and I, I, I think it gives great light to what the world is. So if you'd sit with me this morning, it's just three short verses from 1 John Chapter 2, 15 through 17. Hear the word of the Lord. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever word of the Lord. I have a brief story that kind of, I feel like, defines how for a long time um, people always pointed to me on what the world was. I was in seminary in Jackson, Mississippi. I lived there for about six years of my life. Loved it. It's a great city. It's suffering right now, so if you could pray for it, that would be wonderful. Uh, but it was a place I called home. They had this awesome uh, Irish uh, pub and restaurant on the, this corner near the seminary that probably had the best burger in Jackson, in my opinion. At least every so often they do specials. They do all the weird, crazy burgers, like peanut butter and bacon and stuff like that. Just the richest thing you could think of. Uh, but it was my favorite burger joint. So whenever I was having a rough day, maybe a long day of class, or was exegeting something for professor, and he told me I did it wrong, <laughs> I would go to this place and I would get a delicious, amazing burger. I became friends with a lot of the staff, the owners, all those people. It was a great place to kind of see the city of Jackson in its beauty. It was a place a lot of people called home, a lot of place where people like me went to feel comforted, to feel community. Um, and I remember one of the first times I went there, I was driving up, and it's on the corner of this pretty busy street, grocery store across the street, and there was a group of people outside holding these giant signs. And shouting on a microphone, I was like, oh, maybe some disgruntled waiters or waitresses 
or maybe they're um, trying to inform people about something. But as I got closer, I heard some words of Scripture, but to say they were preaching would be to do a disservice to preaching, because preaching always defines the hope of the gospel, right? There's love within it. And so what, what was happening was being yelled on this microphone was this group of people were, in, in their minds, denouncing the world. This place I was going to uh, feel community and comforted, they deemed as the world. They had these large signs, and they would have about 40 to 50 things on these signs of what they deemed as, if you did one of these things, or you part of one of these things, uh, you weren't going to the good place, you are going to the bad place. And they just shouted it for everybody here. You're sitting on your porch for the restaurant. It's all people heard. And to be honest, one of those words on there was tattooed. And if you can't tell, I have a few tattoos. So coming down from after um, transcribing the first two chapters of the book of Genesis in Hebrew, I just spent 10 hours doing that, going to get my bacon and peanut butter burger. I was told and berated as after I parked from the time I walked out of my car until I walked up those steps. These people... Um, this group were, were condemning this was their world. This group that was outside of them, they look like them, act like them, these things that they deemed as the world, they spewed and just kind of smeared. Said, this is the world, and, and we got to avoid this up all hopes. And even if you go into this place, even if you're just going for a burger after a long day, you're going into the world, and how dare you go into the world? Because you're now being, like this passage says, you are being at enmity with God. You, you are warring against who God is because you're entering into this world. And this morning, I want to petition to you, no, I want to plead with you that the world that John is talking about here is not um, something that lies in things or places we frequent. That the world, rather, lies in the human heart. Our affections and our attitudes that sit at the base and create the filters and the obstacles in which we allow people to meet Jesus. The things that we set up, the idols and the statues that we set up, that we say, you have to do this to get to Christ. That that's the world. That this heart factory that we have. And when we input things on the Bible that aren't, the Bible doesn't put on itself. That's the world John is going against. It's not something on the outside that's far and away that we have to protect everything from, that we have to fence away, but rather it's a heart thing. It's something that we all have to personally work through, reconcile with, and repent of constantly, daily. Because none of us have got it figured out. And how do I know this? Well, John wrote another book, other than 1 John, and it's called uh, The Gospel According to John. It's a, few ch- it's a few books earlier. And in John 3, 16 and 17, you've probably heard it before. You've probably memorized it maybe in Sunday school classes if you lived, uh, if you grew up in the church. And I'm sure if I asked, we could all repeat it. But it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten Son, that whosoever uh, so believe on him, shall not perish, but have eternal life. And it goes on to say that Christ came, became flesh to save the world. And so if God can love the world, 
If God can love his created order, then John can't be talking about what God created, right? Because God, what, what did he do in Genesis? He made the world. In six days, and every day after he was done, he called it good. He looked at it, and he said, it's good. And then sin entered in. It got twisted. It got turned to the way it wasn't supposed to be. I don't think it's hard for any of us to agree on that the world is not the way it's supposed to be. It's easy to look out and see things that aren't peaceful, things that aren't loving. I want to implore you to be careful when defining things as the world. To be careful as defining things that are abhorrent and things we need to avoid at all costs. Because oftentimes, we get caught up and we lump in people who Christ has called his image bearers. Christ has called mine the people Christ died for, the planet that God is trying to make new again. Because like First John says in verse 13, and the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. That God is making things new. That in this verse it says, when it defines the world, all that is in the world, and then it says three things, desires of the flesh, desire of the eyes, and the pride of life. So this morning I want to go through three quick points. And they're just one word, so they should be easy to remember. Checking, crushing, and renewing. If you can't tell, the sermon title is Crushing Idols. Uh, it came from a, a song I was listening to that talked about how all these things in the world are coming in and telling you um, that you have to strive, that, that you aren't good enough. But, but Christ comes in and he crushed those idols. And we'll get to that story near the end. And so why be worried about it? So we'll go to checking first. Why be worried about deeming everything outside of these four walls? Well, it's like a hexagon, so six walls, five walls, um, as the world. That's because it's a dangerous spot to be. When we start defining God in terms he hasn't defined himself, we can end up um, maybe feeling like we have to dress and look uh, like John Calvin every day. Don't recommend it. He wore these big robes. It's probably very sweaty. Um, or, on a more extreme example, it can cause us to turn a blind eye to atrocities or become passive in doing them, like Christians who came alongside during Nazi Germany or Christians who were pro-slavery and racism in the world. When we deem the world as something that God has not defined as himself, or if we deem what's, what's uh, not of God as something outside of what God has deemed, then we can get in a really dangerous spot, a scary spot. And so we need to check ourselves. I had this, a friend of mine that, that one of his favorite phrases would check yourself before you wreck yourself. <laughs> That you have to, to watch your steps or else you're going to trip. Or watch your steps before you run into a wall. And one of these things we can do is we've got to check our eyes. We've got to see if we have, um, as an old country song said, uh, the rose-colored glasses that I'm seeing through that hold all the beauty but hide all the truth. That oftentimes we take Scripture, and my students will tell you all the time, I, all, almost every answer that I'm looking for is always Jesus. So we have Jesus, right? We, we have Jesus there. But we put on these filters, these things that we want to see Jesus through. We want to see Jesus through some worldly filter that we've come to know and love, some cultural filter we've come to know and love. 
So there's some really simple, honestly, really applicable ways to make sure we don't do this. One is this big, beautiful book we have right here, <laughs> the Bible. If you want to know what it likes to be um, a follower of Christ, if you want to know what God's passionate about, what God loves, who God is, this book is the place to do it. The beginning and the end, this is the place. Because it's about Jesus. It's about our Savior from beginning to end. From Genesis 1 to Revelation, I think, 21? Uh, <laughs> that, that's a beautiful way that we can dive into God's Word. And we know that reading God's Word never falls um, on our heart and just kind of sits there. It's always sifting and shaping us. Another way, another thing to acknowledge is that the Holy Spirit is in us. That if you're a follower of Christ, the Holy Spirit is working in and through you to remove the darkness and the twisting of your hearts and make forming us to be more like Christ. That we're running to be more like Jesus. Sometimes dragged to be more like Jesus. I don't know if you've ever been held accountable for maybe messing up and you've had to try to change your ways. But sometimes it's really hard. I know a way for me is... Um, Apartment complex I live in, every so often I see trash uh, out and about, maybe a trash bag tour or something. And I'm like, well, the, hotel, the apartment complex hires maintenance workers, and uh, they, they can do that. I, I'm, I pay rent. I'm too good to, to, to pick up the trash in front of my apartment complex. And that's a moment I have to stop myself. How can I be a neighbor? How can I love God and love my neighbor as we're commanded to? Right? In the Gospels, Christ defines what's the, what is... The book of the law, what, is, uh, what does it mean? What is the greatest commandment? And Christ says to love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And what's the second part? To love your neighbor as yourself. And I think we forget the next part. Because the next part is really key. On all of this hinges the law and the prophets. On this, the entire Old Testament is hinged. Everything we do, everything we read, the Ten Commandments from beginning to end, hinges on loving God and loving our neighbor. And so what did I do? Well, I went and picked up some trash. And it took about five minutes. I washed my hands and I felt fine. It wasn't a hard way for me to check myself to see how can I love my neighbor well. To remove some pride out of my life, right? Because the three things um, that we need to check are desires of our flesh, of our eyes, and the pride of life. So desires of flesh are just things that that we want to bring in because it makes us feel good. Things we want to bring in, and we're like, well, if we have this specific thing, if we, if we get this right, then, then life, will be, life will be the right way to go. If the church you know, has purple and blue carpet, then you know, we'll be able to worship perfectly. I used an extreme example because hopefully nobody wants purple and blue carpet. <laughs> but um, you know, it, it's when we put on these additional things that, that we feel would be a comfortability that, that allow us, we feel like, would allow us to enter in and to meet Jesus. These desires of the flesh, these things that we want. And maybe we feel like that, that if these laws get passed, then we're going to be on the right track. Maybe the desires of eyes. If, if I don't see any trash anymore, then trash isn't there, so I don't have to worry about it. Or maybe you're like, I'm, I really wish everybody would wear a suit and tie on Sunday. And then our church would be in the right spot. These are desires of the eyes, desires of the flesh. And how do, we, how do we know that? Well, because the third one, the pride of life. 
Then what are we supposed to take pride in? What are we supposed to run to? Are we supposed to make ourselves look as best as possible? Or are we supposed to put on Christ? In Galatians, at the end of chapter 3, it says there's neither slave nor free, Jew nor Gentile, male or woman, that we are all one in the body of Christ. That our identity isn't in the clothes that we wear, it shouldn't be in the political party we follow, or the kind of car we drive, or the job that we have, or how many kids we have, or anything other than Jesus. That's what our identity is. That is what we hold on to. That's what we fight for. That's what we stand on. That's the hill we die on, is Christ. Why is that the hill we die on? Because that's the hill he died on. That he got up there on that cross. We just sang it. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice called amongst the coffers. That despite me being at enmity with God, warring against God, his enemy, he loved me enough to die for me on that hill. Because he knew his grace, his sacrifice, his mercy was sufficient. And he didn't stay dead up on that hill, though, did he? He rose again three days later, defeating death. And so we need to check ourselves. We need to, with fear and trembling, come before God's Word, listening to the Holy Spirit with prayer, uh, with understanding of the Scriptures. Where are some great signs of the Holy Spirit? And then move on. Well, fruits of the Spirit, right? Simple. It's in Galatians 5, 24 and 25, if you're looking for them. The love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. These are fruits of the Spirit. The Spirit is living and active and working in you. These are things that should be um, shown in your life. As you're walking and living, these are the things that should be able to be picked off and tasted as good food. Things people can enjoy. Blessings, the way you can bless your neighbors are with these things. So the next part, after you've checked, maybe you have a few things you feel like, like me with the, with the trash picking up, well, then you need a crush. I like that word. That's a fun word. <laughs> uh, you can say it fun, maybe like a WWE wrestler or something, crushing. Um, <laughs> and so we need to remove these things. It's not always easy, though, is it? Me picking up trash doesn't really affect my life on a whole. But me maybe deciding that uh, this group of people that I'm part of that aren't allowing me to um, pursue to love God and loving our neighbors and leaving part of that in order to pursue God, that's a hard thing. Or maybe recognizing there's some faults in stuff you have believed or have been walking with and you're like, maybe these are some viewpoints that I need to change. I think a big thing that's hard for us as Americans is we see Christianity in one light, but Christians are all around the world. Christian, Christianity looks different in other cultures. Jesus doesn't change. His word doesn't change. But how it's expressed can change. I have a really good friend. His name's Simon. He's from Kenya. We went to college together. And he would always look at me and he'd be like, Brother, Kenyans are excited for Jesus. All of his prayers were excited he was running and exciting, and it terrified some of my brothers and sisters who were from small-town Michigan like I was, because he was just so excited when he prayed. They're like, prayer is supposed to be quiet, and with your hands in your, in your hands. And he had his hands up, and he was excited for Jesus. And it, that's just a small thing. It, it, these, these simple things can, can be things that we can remove so that we can see Christ in the glory that he has called us to. And, and those are always uplined with Scripture, right? Always point to Scripture. So we need to know that some of these things take baby steps. That we might falter. 
That any time we're dealing with sin and things we're trying to work through, we're never going to get it perfect the first time. So we have to have grace for ourselves. And we also have grace for others. I feel like it's very easy to give grace for ourselves, but sometimes it's hard to give grace to others. That we see people, maybe that you're like, well, they say they're Christians, but I don't know because of this. Maybe they're not Reformed or some other thing. <laughs> We're like, maybe they're not as good of a Christians. And maybe at that moment, we probably should check ourselves. But we also have to realize that, that the Holy Spirit has a job to do, and the Holy Spirit is doing that job. Especially nowadays, with social media and all other kinds of things, we think we have the Holy Spirit's job. We get to convict and change people. And rather, the Bible tells us that it's the Holy Spirit's job. Obviously, there's instances where it's good for a community to come alongside and help guide a brother or sister who's struggling. That's important. That's what community's about. But I really want you to, <laughs> to nail in your brain, because something I constantly forget, that the Holy Spirit is working. That even in our weakness, in our shortcomings, Christ is sufficient. The Spirit is sufficient in convicting and bringing his true believers to himself. We can have faith in that. We can hold on to that. It should excite us, comfort us. The Holy Spirit is working at crushing our sin. To kind of sum up checking and crushing with, with another fun illustration, we're having a meal next week. There's going to be awesome people who are preparing that meal. And what if we had that meal? It was all ready. It was hot. We could smell it. You hadn't seen it yet, but you could smell it. And we got done with the service, and me and Eric had made an obstacle course for you all to get through, and an algebra test at the end. And we're like, and then you can get the meal. The people who made the meal didn't set up that obstacle course. Or there's people who had, who had no job in making the meal, or giving the gift, or giving the grace. But we felt like, ah, if you really want to deserve this meal, if you really want to, you know, fully take in all the nutrients, you're going to have to work for it. You're going to have to sweat it out a little bit. You're going to have to be able to do well in algebra. I say algebra because I'm awful at algebra. Because <laughs> I couldn't even do my own test. I couldn't even set the obstacles that I lay out. But the beauty of the gospel is, as Tommy, who was here for years, as all of our speakers during our summer speaker series, Jesus is right there. I want to hold that for a second. That our job as Christians is to open the door and say, hey, Jesus loves you. He died for you. And he's fighting for you. You can't outrun him. He's running to get you. And he will get all those whom he has called mine. And once he has you, there's no letting go. And he holds you tight. Even when you feel like you're stumbling, even when you feel like you've messed up and maybe you feel like I'm too far gone, brothers and sisters, I promise grace is enough. What he did on the cross was sufficient for you, for saving you from your sins. And so the last point, the shortest point, is renewing. Is that God, through his Holy Spirit, through the word, is renewing us, making us more like him, making us more like the image bearers we are making us more like Christ. Because as Christians, when we leave these doors, we don't represent the Amphilink family or New Hope. When people see us, we represent the Savior who changed our lives. God incarnate. When, here, when they say Christian, maybe you have it in your Twitter bio or something, I'm a Christian, and they see you tweet, and they're like, oh, that's what a Christian would tweet. Or that's how a Christian feels. That's the kind of grace Jesus gives. And we're image bearers. 
God's renewing us. God's working on us. None of us got it right. So give grace to yourself, but also know the Holy Spirit is working on it. So I pray you never get too comfortable to check yourself, to crush a few sins, and to feel renewed by the moving of His Spirit, by learning from God's Word, by praying, uh, by pursuing what God has called us to pursue. Romans 5, 6 through 11. I got it somewhere. Here it is. Um, It says, For while we are still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Not one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows us his love for us in that, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if we will, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled by God by death of his son, much more now are we to be reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. That becoming a Christian is not the end of the goal. It's a line that God pulls us through. And then we have a lifetime of learning and becoming more and more like Christ. That in this passage, it warns against putting things in front of God. Loving things. Whatever our hope is in. That's probably the greatest litmus test. When the world gets dark, when things start failing, what do you cling to? Do you cling to your money? Uh, do you cling to how fit you are? Do you cling to your politics, your car, your house, your family? Whatever you cling to, that's what your hope resides in. And brothers and sisters, the good news of the gospel is that the creator of the universe wants you to cling to him. And that he promises that he will be faithful. That's the good news of the gospel. That we shouldn't love the desires of our flesh, of our eyes, the pride of life. These are things that God is working on removing in our lives. That we are to run towards God. Because what God is making new won't fade away. What God's making new will be sustained. That at the end of time, when there's new heavens and new earth, everything that's good, creation will be not as it was in the garden, but better. How do we know that? Because we won't be able to trip and fall into sin again. Every tear will be removed. Every pain will be taken away. And we'll all dance and hang out with Jesus. We'll get to learn for all of time about who our Savior is. I want to end with a story that hopefully you've heard hundreds if not thousands of times if you've been in this church. That's the story that's in Genesis 3.15. Actually, I have a tattoo of this story. But is that God promised at the garden, as soon as we messed up, he looked at Adam and Eve and said, there will be a snake that will bruise your heel, but I am sending one who will crush his head. What God's talking about there is crushing sin, crushing the work of the evil one. That we've won the war. Not because of we're so good or strong or because we got it all figured out, but because Christ is good and has it all figured out and did it and it's done. He got up on that cross and in his death killed sin. He made sure he was dead when he rose again three days later. And now he asks us, come. Come. 
help you live in the light of that gospel. That you live running towards God and not towards the world, which is our feelings and affirmations. Run towards God. Run. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly and Holy Father, we pray that you continue to crush idols in our life. These things that we build up, that we feel like are needed in order to worship you, are needed in order to see you well, when rather you've given us the avenue to do that. It feels almost too simple at times that we just open up your word, read your gospels, pray and come into community with fellow believers, Lord. You've called us to yourself and we pray that we run quickly. And we thank you that you have finished the race well. That you have saved us despite our sin, despite our mess-ups. That you have crushed our sin. You are making us new. I pray that we are running and pursuing to be more and more like you every day. In your precious, most holy name. Amen.